This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast. This is your host, Matt Dye, and we've got an awesome podcast for you guys. Um, some of the most popular podcasts that we do are client successes. And um, what we've got for you guys today is actually consultant success, as we've got Kyle Hedges um, on the podcast. Kyle, how are you doing today? Doing great. Yep, good, good, good. Here. Exciting, exciting topic because it's my own farm we're going to talk about. So that is right. And hopefully exciting to others. Absolutely. So we're going to spend some time breaking down this property, the history of the property, the recent successes on the property. So that then brings in uh, Byron Mitchell, a good friend of yours, and he's joining us today on the podcast as well. Byron, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. We've got to have the hitman. I'm just going to call you the hitman uh, during, during the podcast. You guys will find out why later on. But before we jump into the podcast, um, just want to make a quick shout out to our partners with OnX. Um, if you guys are um, owning your own land, if you guys are hunting out west or you're making plans to do travel hunts, you have to have OnX. Make sure you guys are checking out the app. You can use it on your phone. You can use it on a desktop while you're planning and doing your e-scouting. Make sure you have OnX, guys. Check out the Elite membership as well and all the goodies that come with it. But use the code LEGACY20 at checkout to get 20% off your yearly membership. Okie dokie, guys. Kyle, <clears throat> there's nothing like a home property, right? Um, this, this property, I know, means a lot to you. And even more so in the, in the last couple of years here, um, as, as hunts have unfolded, as life has changed, you've been able to spend more time there. But give people an idea uh, of what it is you're working with here out, out of Kansas and um, what, what this family farm is. Uh, yeah, uh, and well, I've talked about it a little on a couple other podcasts with, with Adam. So if people have heard that, maybe a little redundancy, but for the most part, so my dad bought this place in 93. So 30 years ago, 29 years ago, um, it's just 160 acres. So it's not a huge property. Um, Southeast Kansas. He bought it the year that I, I went to junior college for a couple of years. And then the year that I moved, they went to K-State. He buys this awesome place. Go figure. So I didn't <laughs> get, <laughs> I didn't get to hunt it growing up. Um, uh, you know, so there was this, this period in there and he wasn't a big deer. In fact, he never killed a deer in his life um, when he bought this place and never killed a turkey. He, um, it was just a, a place to buy, uh, to have closer to town, you know? Uh, so anyway, he, he had some property that he grew up on, uh, but it was further away. So he buys this place and, and honestly, uh, my brother was still alive back then, and and um, you know, we hunted it a little bit, but not not very much, honestly. Um, turkey hunted it more than deer hunt. I was in college. My brother was living way out in, in western Kansas, eight hours away. So um, it was just kind of a, 
a piece of property. It had a neat cabin on it, had a couple neat creeks and, and, um, that's just kind of how it was for several years. I hunted off and on, but nothing real serious. Um, right. My brother was also a wildlife biologist. So this place, um, it was set up nice, was in some, had some CRP fields on it, um, has some oak timber on it, has two creeks that run through it. So some real neat features, but you know, we, we burned a couple different times. Um, we had, uh, when he bought it, it was fescue CRP and, and we converted that over to, to warm season grass and forb CRP. Um, but otherwise we just didn't do a ton of management. Neither one of us really had time. We didn't live. I lived three and a half hours away. He was way further than that. So there was probably, a I don't know, a, a good 10, 12 year stretch that maybe we did a couple burns on it. Just not a lot happened on that farm. I, those, I think that, that go ahead, Byron. Those burns were just mid-contract burns that you were required to do with CRP. That's correct, right. So even that, you know, we were just burning the open fields once in a while. We, we hadn't done anything with the timber. And it, and it wasn't because we didn't care or didn't know what we – it was just life at that time. We both had three kids, and it's just – life and where we live from that farm for sure it, it, it honestly sounds like the very much um and again no fault to anybody but like that, that kind of status quo land ownership type model where it's a great place to go and recreate you can go and have memories you, you dabble you're interested but time's very limited um when it comes to how intense that you can get it wasn't because you guys didn't know what to do i mean you guys you and your brother at that time, you know, there's two wildlife biologists, like, you know what to do. It's not a lack of education. It's a lack of time, but because of those uh, hurdles, let's say it was very much a similar land ownership model that a lot of people potentially listening um, have either been in or are in currently. And then they're here listening today because they're seeking something more. Yeah, that's right. Adam and I recorded a podcast a couple months ago and talked about kind of the time is is now, right? Where for some people, for me, several years ago, my life was it was travel softball with my girls and I was coaching and this and that and and it just didn't work out. Right. But it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, you gotta figure out ways to work in management if you're gonna own properties and be successful. Um, was the point of that podcast but you know in hindsight man Lance and I my brother we should have been a little more intentional we could have gotten more done back then but it didn't necessarily wasn't like the farm went to heck it didn't ruin it nothing mm -hmm. it just it, it just delayed uh, the success that we've seen I guess Lance and I could have enjoyed this success that now Byron's getting to be a part of uh, my brother has since passed away. Uh, so, you know, he's not, not hunting out there, but um, Byron is, is <laughs> reaping the, the spoils of more intentional management over the last, you know, several years and, and, and a focus on, on making this a successful property. Yeah. And you said something there, Kyle, that was like, mm, 
I, I want I want to draw attention to, man, what if people knew that that those ones, I guess, who are sitting on their hands, if they realize that they're only delaying their success for future by not doing anything? I think that would kind of like shake some people and wake them up just knowing that um, you are probably are, you know, potentially frustrated with with what's happened on your given property. And by you just doing nothing is just delaying your success for another time, for another day. And uh, if people knew that, they probably wouldn't be too happy um, with, with that situation. Just your lack yeah. of man. Delaying. Not just delaying that success, in some cases, creating back management, what we yes. call in the public land world, back management. And Byron can attest to this. He's a, a landowner himself, bought a property several years ago and has done a lot of back management. So, you know, if you don't burn, you wake up 12 years later and you have to spend days and days cutting cedars mm-hmm. that wouldn't have been there if you were burning. So cutting cedars for a week is now back management because you failed to burn and kill little cedars. So that's just one example, but that happens all the time. For sure. For sure. So, all right, that, that kind of gives some history of the place. Bring us, bring us kind of to um, whether it's the, the start of the management, when you started really getting that time and intentionality with your management, um, what what were those practices, and then how did that lead into this this continued success? Yeah, and I want to mention something before I get that far. You know, there was success here, there was big deer here, um, but the consistency is what has really changed. So another buddy of mine, apparently, just be my buddy, and you can kill giant deer on my property. <laughs> another buddy of mine killed a a really big deer uh would have been in the i don't know oh seven oh eight maybe uh, on this place i I think it was it was probably 2011 okay maybe so (laughs) a decade ago i saw deer easily would have put me in the magazines been over 200 inches in the late 90s had him at 15 yards one of those nightmare stories I relive every day. Um, <laughs> never got a shot. But uh, anyway, this this had deer, big deer in this area and on this farm. But but the consistency of them and, and how they moved through the property and all of that was, was not consistent, uh, to be honest with you. Um, not a lot of management, like I said, so... You know, got some kids grown up and out of out of school. And um, the first major thing I did um, six years ago, a bunch of back management, cut a bunch of cedars out of all the oak hickory timber, um, stuff that shouldn't have been there. Had I been more intentional about burning and more consistent about burning, wouldn't have had to do that. So spent several days, cut a lot of cedars out that were just taking up sunlight uh, and then started burning. Uh, and, you know, it was crazy because all these years, you know, at work, I was burning thousands of acres each year. And honestly, that was part of the problem. I had moved a lot closer to this farm. I only lived uh, an hour and a half away. But if it was a good burn day, we were burning work. 
Yeah. And so my farm was taking a back seat. And I remember telling my wife uh, just a few years ago, I finally said, Hey, this is ridiculous. I'm, <laughs> I'm neglecting my own farm with fire because I'm so dedicated to the public lands that I'm managing, which is a good thing. I'm doing yep. good at my day job, but dad gummit, I got to make time to, to manage this farm and fire has to be my number one tool. Right. So started getting more deliberate about fire, uh, probably about the same time, five or six years ago, really getting on a rotation, you know, no more than three years between fire for whether it's timber, CRP field, doesn't matter, pollinator planting, at a minimum, it's getting burned every three years. And, and that's where Byron was already hunting with me, but he gets, that's his payment. He gets drug into all of this. Right. So, so a lot of good practices, intensity of those practices um, definitely stepped up. What, were there, was there a mind shift change in like species? Because obviously you're a bird hunter. Um, but like in the, in who you were managing the farm for wildlife wise? Uh, you know, this farm has always been, it's kind of bottom ground. It's, it's deer Turkey. It's never been a upland. It's always had a covey or two quail here and there, but never been an upland management farm. So I never looked at it from that standpoint. Uh, certainly, you know, when I became involved in land and legacy as a, as a consultant a few years ago, that probably upped my game as far as more intentionality, but I was already, we were already moving that direction. Byron and I were just, I was relaying stories. You know, we were unfolding this as, as we were hunted over there every fall, we're yep. discussing stories. I'm talking about, you know, they used to bed up here and they'd move through this piece and then they go down here by the, this muddy pond and, you know, those kind of stories. And, you know, they don't move through here like this anymore. And they used to come from the Southwest to move to the Northeast. And as we're discussing the story, some of it just unfolded between Byron and I and nights at the cabin, just sitting around drinking beer and talking about the hunts and how deer are moving through. And, well, you know what, well, what's missing? Well, you know, that's kind of grown up on me. And now, well, this is, that used to be a lot thicker and they used to use it as a bedding thicket and that's gone. And, so some of that was starting to reveal itself anyway. Yeah. And we started saying, well, we need to fix that. Uh, food was another thing. I've, I've never had, because it's mostly CRP, yeah. never had food plots. I've messed around like everybody else over the years, you know, tried some little piddly plots and failed and, and uh, finally got more intentional a few years ago about, hey, I've got to have quality food every fall and and year round for that matter you know adding revival plot um having legacy um or bounty hunter or whatever you know like I, i've got to have some consistent fall food so that that changed uh four years ago i guess um, to consistently keep deer on me when you're only got 160 acres you're not going to have deer on you. Those deer are going to go off and on, on and off the property. But I, I, I needed to keep them on me longer. So, <clears throat> like, what what about hunting strategy? In in all this, I feel like sometimes um, 
as you're retelling stories, and then that turns into action and management. Um, sometimes hunting strategies can change and evolve in the same time frame. Did you guys do you hunt the property the same way or with the same intensity um, or the same pressure? H has that changed at all? Byron, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, we hunt it the same way, but we noticed that those stands that were productive in the past had become unproductive. And the changes that we've made, we've made those stands be productive again and, and, and kind of made them where they travel by those stands now, where, yeah. where when, when the property was neglected, it started shifting which way they were going. And now we've put them right back to where our stands are. Yeah, true. And we've also, you know how it is when you've owned a farm this long and hunted it this long, shoot, we put up two, two more stands this year. I mean, right. you yeah. continue to say, yeah. Ooh, Hey, got a new movement pattern. I don't know if that's going to be year to year, but it certainly is this year for whatever reason. And we'll, jump on. On and we'll, and we'll put a stand up and, and, you know, take, try to take advantage of that opportunity as it arises as well. For sure. Okay. <clears throat> so intentional management has happened. You guys discussing and almost like uh, restoring some of the old functionality of the farm and the features of the farm um, to make more consistent movement and hunting strategy kind of revived these areas um, across the farm that have been productive in the past. So what does that look like in a trans like to, to translate into hunting success, um, what the past couple of years look like. And, and I, I want to, uh, it, it doesn't have to just be about harvests either. It can be about the way you're seeing deer utilize the property, whether that's on trail cameras, um, that consistency that you talked about, or, or the uh, behavior or the demeanor of deer um, that all weighs into and or are signs of how things have changed. Um, that people probably would, would want to hear about. So how, how has that changed and what the past couple seasons look like then? Yeah, so the, you know, the last, um, what we discussed, Brian, the last four years we've harvested. So obviously in Kansas, one buck state. So each of us have a license, right? Yep. So in four years, we would have had the potential to harvest eight bucks. We've harvested six target bucks in the last four years between the two of us. Very nice. So the consistency nice. has gotten good, really good. Um, the deer, the deer quality has improved. Part of that is recovering from a big EHD die off in 2012, which none of us can do anything about that. Sure. Um, well, I think the first year I went over there was 2012. And I, I harvested the, that 10 point. And then, then it was, some slim years there. Uh, I think Rick Rick killed the deer in 2011. And then, I don't know, I mean, 16, probably 16 and 17, we were like, man, there's one shooter buck on camera. Are we even going to go over there and hunt? What are we going to do? But the last four years really has changed a lot where we're seeing, we've got five or six deer we're saying, hey, these are target bucks now and that's what's really been the eye-opener to me is 
is how many target bucks we have on camera now in the last four years. And that and lean eyes on with the management too, right? That yes. increased the management. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. I mean the management started probably five years ago where we where we really focused on on doing these things we want to do the last five years. Mm-hmm. Nice. I think we've seen the consistency of holding those deer. They're they're more consistent staying. In the past, I would have, yeah, hey, there's a shooter buck. You know how it is. You got three pictures of them, two different days. They were there twice. Yep. Never see them again. Now, and I still have a little of that. Everybody does, right? You get the pass through bucks. You get the who knows where they came from bucks. But we're starting to have, hey, this deer's living here. <laughs> like I have this deer on camera four out of seven days a week for wow. three weeks kind of deal and a shooter but you know multiple shooters doing this like that that's the consistency we've seen that's what's led to six target bucks and not all of those are you know 160 inch deer i'm not claiming that some of those are just mature deer that we identified as hey that's a shooter we both agree to um and and we've been fortunate to to feel like that the predictability of those bucks is there um, and we can pick the right stands and, and between the two of us, one of us gets an opportunity at those, one of those bucks. And that's all archery equipment too on that 160, right? Yes. And I want to mention that too. And I'm certainly not discouraging anyone from, you know, Hey, if you're out there hunting September 15th till December 31st, you do whatever you got to do. Sure. But I might hunt if I'm over there for a weekend. They, you know, that's close to where I grew up. I still have some family back there. I may get in a stand once or twice early season. By early season, I'm saying any even through October. But Byron and I don't go over there to hunt until the rut. Right. So that's an important factor to consider. There is zero pressure on these deer. No one is, else is hunting there. They're not getting pressured. Stands aren't getting burned out. We're rolling in November 5th, 6th, 8th times, things like that to hunt for a week or five days. Uh, and to me, I think that's a huge factor. Well, that, that really coincides with the, another podcast I just recorded. Um, not sure when it's going to drop in relation to this, but essentially is um, uh, a client really close to me. Uh, he's 20 years old, saved up enough money, bought 20 acres, cut in bedding thickets in July of this year, stayed out. I mean, waited, waited, waited until the, you know, same time frame, 5th, 8th, something like that of November goes in. And uh, by that time, he's got, you know, a couple targets in mind and sees both of them multiple times throughout gun season, just can't quite get it done on them. Um, and then just from a consistency standpoint, that's, that's a 20 acre example with some bedding cuts on it in a short time frame. but it's, it's a low pressure environment, right? Like it doesn't have to be a giant place. It can be a 160. It can be 20 acres. You're only going to see this bigger and better on a bigger scale, but Pressure is so incredibly important to consider um, when you're talking about trying to be consistent 
on harvesting, like those low pressure environments. And then when deer are on their feet the most and you've got cover to keep them held tight, you're going to see them. You're going to have those opportunities. Yeah, and that's never – and the cover part you just touched on has always been easy to work with over there. With CRP, I mean, more. I have more acreage in CRP than I do timber. Right. So, you know, I've got seven-foot-tall grass everywhere. So deer move comfortably daytime, open field. They'll walk through an open field just the same as if they were walking through a, you know, a, a clear-cut uh, two-year regrowth in a bedding thicket or something. It sure. just – it doesn't bother them. Um, so yeah, let, let's just talk, you know, I think six or, or four years ago, you know, um, I harvest, uh, we don't, we don't have creative names, by the way, we're going to talk about some specific deer here and Byron and I, we're pretty simple. Like we have a deer called bent brow because he has a bent brow time. We have the, the big eight, the skinny 10, the, that's how we name deer. Okay. Right. right. So, uh, very functional, but uh, yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's just, I don't know, gosh, it's just been, it's been glorious to, to sit out there, see these deer have encounters with we've that, you know, counting the, the six harvest target buck. That's not, counting how many encounters we've had with target bucks that we just couldn't seal the deal we, yeah. we saw them we saw them across the crp field target buck i was hunting this year i saw three different times i just wow. never had a shot opportunity but uh, yep. i saw him three different times so um i don't know we we killed a couple of those target deer uh, four years ago, three years ago, I guess three years in a row. Last year, I killed a target deer too. And uh, and four years ago, Byron ate a tag. Um, and then he's done well since. Um, I got to quit biting him to my farm. He, we'll get a little yeah. more detailed about the last couple of years. But yeah. target oh. deer, mature deer is one thing when you start shooting mature deer that are tickling 180 it's uh <laughs> he might be wearing out as welcome <laughs> tell us a little bit about that byron in in the past couple of years because um kansas is known for giant deer and you guys have had your opportunities at them um fortunately for you you've been the the lucky hunter that's been in the right place, the right time. You made that right stand selection of being able to capitalize on that. So, um, not to put down any deer. Um, I know we're all we're all three sitting here talking. You know, mature deer. That that's that's got a target on their back kind of thing. But not all of them are giant mature deer. Um, so, what what has the past couple of years looked like for you regarding? that success and, and the caliber of mature deer that you've been able to take here on this place? Well, I think, I mean, three years ago, I killed a deer that we did not ever have on camera. I don't think we ever had a picture of him, did we, Kyle? That's true, right. So it was Thank a target you. buck. I, I claim a target buck, but it was one of those somebody else's deer. <laughs> Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? So those are just bonus deer. For sure. And that was, I mean, I had – multiple encounters with deer uh 
passed a pretty nice mature deer early in that hunt. And then the last evening of this hunt, we were packed up, ready to go home. And this buck comes walking through 10 minutes of shooting light left and kill a 140 inch acre. Right. And then, and then last year was a target buck. Just, it was hot. It was 70 degrees that day. And I said, man, we're not going to see anything. I don't even have my jacket on yet. And here comes a 161 inch 10 point that I shoot at 30 yards working Ooh. a scrape. That was a deer we called skinny 10 and we had, he was just living on my place. I mean, we had picture after picture of this deer. Um, so and actually you were, you were hunting the stand where we were seeing him the most. Yeah, we, we were we sure to... somebody would have an encounter or we were, we were sure hoping so. Um, but yeah, just terrible weather, but he was so consistent on that farm. Um, that even with that kind of weather, I don't think they were moving a lot. Um, we weren't seeing a lot of deer in our sits, but it's still, you know, still got it done. We were in his wheelhouse because his wheelhouse was my farm. Well, and, and that, yeah, and he, I mean, he come out at four o'clock, so it wasn't like a right at dark deal. I mean, he come out at four, four thirty, something like that. And comes out walking through the CRP and I rattle at him and here he comes walking straight to me and starts working two scrapes as he's coming to me and turns broadside at a scrape that we have. We, I mean, we cut and left a limb right there where he works a scrape at 30 yards. And I love it. That, that, that's something special. I mean, to be able, well, it says, it says a lot in my opinion of, um, having that daylight movement, but like having that consistency on camera, knowing that that deer is a homebody, um, to me, that like overt selection of your property, um, day in and day out obviously means, Hey, there's security here. There's forage here. There's cover here. Um, it's, it's a top choice because, you know, being a mature deer, he's going to be selecting those areas that have the most does, most does they're in and around those exact same resources too. So it just kind of goes to show when you can see and witness that not only from a tree stand and harvest him, but you're seeing that type of activity from that caliber of deer um, consistently, you're doing the right things. Like you're, you're making those, those necessary changes to a farm and creating that environment. So um so not everyone gets to rattle deer in too. So adding that little bonus to the hunt's pretty, pretty dadgum cool. Well, you know, sometimes you that target list and, and you and I did a podcast a while back about appreciating what you harvest, I think, but talking about how throughout the season, your target list may change. Different bucks show up, different bucks get killed, different things happen. Um, and last year's a perfect example I never saw a shooter that the whole time we're there for our November, whatever, fourth through the 10th. I never saw a shooter. We've got a few on camera. Um, just wasn't happening for me. It was crummy weather. I just thought I got to go back. We know the better, you know, he kills skin 10. So I go back about 10 days later, two weeks later. And all of a sudden I've got a new deer on camera. Like immediately a deer has taken over skinny tens territory and yeah. he's on camera all the time. 
real creative name, Skinny Ten Junior is what he got called. <laughs> um, but he was real narrow, real tall, just the same look as this deer, just not as many inches. And so I said, well, goodness, this is, this is a target deer. I'm in for this one. Right. And 32 minutes of stand. I drove over for a cold front, 32 minutes in the stand, same stand that he harvested skinny 10. I shoot this new buck that's moved in and is occupying the same territory. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, you want to talk about consistency, literally the same stand. Yeah. And shoot the deer that took over the territory of the deer that iron harvested two weeks previous. So what, what's special about that stand? Like what, what are the components around that stand? Is, is it just a perfect funnel? Is it that you can see and you can call? What, what is it? It's, it's deer naturally come off of my uh, piece of oak timber and fade into a, they, they go Southwest to Northeast into a bedding area, into a real heavy, just jungle mess that's actually off of my property. The okay. jungle mess is. I've got some of my own uh, bedding areas, but so we can only hunt it when we've got a north or northwest wind. Um, but deer just move in and out of that. So again, you know, you apply the 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 rut, the timing of of when we're there, and deer moving in and out of that all the time. Um, so nice. that's just a dandy dandy spot to be. Uh, at the same time, keep in mind, we had pictures of a deer we called crazy. Now, this one doesn't fit. Um, it's not as descriptive, but it's, it's this giant deer that was had stuff kind of going everywhere. And we had pictures of this deer called, we, we coined the name crazy. Actually, I named him this year. Last year, we didn't even have a name for him. He was just a giant. Right. <laughs> uh, had some pictures of him. Never saw him on the hoof. Mostly night pictures. Didn't really know what was going on. So move transition into this year, crazy showed back up the exact same day. I don't have this deer in the summertime. He shows up October 21st, same day he showed up last year. First time he shows up on camera. Wow. And I start getting pictures of him and a lot of pictures of him and summer daylight, summer night, this deer is, uh, he's using my property consistently. So right. we go over same kind of deal. We go over to hunt. Um, you know, the rut early November and well, I've, we've got two really big deer. We actually probably in a normal year, we would have had three, uh, four, four shooter deer, probably as far as maturity, maybe five. Wow. But we cut the list down to two because this, this deer we called crazy. We thought this is 180 inch deer. Wow. And then there, we I've got another one that's four on one side, seven on the other, four by seven, real creative name again. Um, that that is 160 inch deer. So the other mature deer fell off the list immediately. We were solely focused on these two deer. We're trying to put a, a head on the wall now. This is yep. just harvesting, you know, a nice five and a half year old eight points out the window. And that and that's fine. Not knocking anybody that, that wants to do that. In our case, it was these are the only two deer that we're going to shoot. Right. When you stack that against a 160 and, and a crazy, right, your, your, your targets are going to rise to the top pretty fast when you have those, when you have those deer on the property. You just don't well, know how many chances in your life you're going to get for a 180, a, a crazy. Yes. Yes. And I think my, I mean, 
my goals are a little different than Kyle's. I mean, I would have shot a mature deer and I actually would have shot a big five point. He had three on one side and two on the other, but he's, he was huge. And I'm like, that's a weird, unique deer. I'm going to, I'm going to take that deer if I had the chance. And, and he just came in, it was too dark by the time he made his way to me and I couldn't. And then the next evening, here comes crazy. And at three forty-five, walking oh in. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, that's, that's true. Right. That's a good point, Byron. You're, you had, you are willing to shoot some different animals. And we think that that five point, I don't know how old he is, but he was giant bodied deer. Lat. He's got to be six plus just nice. a really weird deer, mature deer. I, was 100% not willing to burn a tag on that deer when these other two are on my farm. Sure, my sure. was that's his choice, and well, that and I that's fine. Um, totally mature deer, mature deer. So yeah, if you want to if you want to burn the tag, have at it. But it, it uh, didn't sound like light was in your favor there the night before. No, I and I saw a bunch of deer, just no mature deer the night before until right there at dark. He come mm-hmm. in and working a scrape, but by the time he got in bow range, it was, it was too dark to do anything, and that was it. And and he could have saved Crazy's life if he would have came in a little sooner. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> well, so kind of so this this year, you know, we get over there, and the very first morning, I see this four by seven deer twice. This deer oh, wow. that we're pretty sure will go over one sixty. I have two different encounters, both times at 60 yards. It rained all night and he was he was freshening every scrape in this this part of the farm. Yep. And so he made this big loop around me basically, but he cut short both sides of me. I don't know if he knew where that stand was. I don't know how. I've got 14 stands on this place. So um, one thing we don't do is get picked out very often because we're always sitting in different places. Um, but anyway, so I had a couple encounters with this great deer and then we have, you know, two or three days we're seeing a lot of rut action. We're seeing a ton of deer, uh, lots of, lots of good action off and on. Um, still haven't seen this crazy deer on the hoof. And, and then the, I guess, well, it was the last night we were going to leave. Actually, we were going to leave because it, the weather had kind of got stale on us. Um, we decided we would leave and come back maybe a week or two later. Um, now that I think about it, and Byron, you go ahead with the the rest of the story. Yeah, same deal. I mean, it was hot. Weather wasn't very good. We were seeing we were seeing a lot of deer, just nothing that we really wanted to shoot. We were seeing a bunch of little bucks chasing those, and <clears throat> I actually had a a little four point or six point come by me chasing a doe at three fifteen that day, uh, and then at three thirty, I see a buck walking two hundred yards from me, and decide get the binoculars on him and don't know it's crazy, and <clears throat> throw the binoculars up, say wow this is this is a pretty good deer I I'm gonna have to think about shooting this deer, so I start rattling wait five minutes next thing i know i hear leaves coming or hear him walking through the leaves and 
bam, there he is, pops up at 40 yards. And as soon as he comes up over the crest of the hill, I knew exactly what deer it was. And I was thinking right there is like, I don't want to send this text to Kyle because he's going to be, he's going to be mad. (laughs) (laughs) And he gets up on that hill there and hits the trail of that doe where that buck had just chased the doe through there. And here he comes right under the stand and I shoot him right in the spine. And that's, that's the story of him. I mean, I've kind of got, I've kind of got me a little spot over on the river when the wind's right. It's a pinch point between the river and a bluff bank. And two of the last three deer I've killed on that farm have come out of that same tree. Wow. That's, and, and by rattling so in from a distance and then get their attention and responding aggressively and coming into that, to that noise and to that, um, uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's one thing <clears throat> when you find areas like that, those natural pinches occur from whether it's washing out of the bank or um, whatever the topography feature is there that just pinches them. You kind of just ride the hole out. And when it works and deer move through there, you, oh, you yeah. capitalize on it. And that, that's, that's some of those areas. They, they don't always show up on a map sometimes that those areas you you have to walk them out some of them can be created by um you know harsh harsh rains right and and you have slippage off one of those steep bluffs and uh, there's one of those on adam's farm um in particular they had some a bank giveaway and it creates this massive on the upper side of the hill a massive pinch and it's like things change pretty drastically you have to be willing to get in there find them but when you find them man they're sweet sounds like you found yeah, one. i think i think before i started hunting in there kyle's i think you rifle hunted over over there one time 20 years ago or something and now yeah. i mean <coughs> I, I mean i killed crazy there this year rattled him in and then three years ago the 140 inch eight point that i killed there was coming down to run off another buck off the bluff, come down off the bluff to run off another buck that was with the doe that I had been watching for an hour. And then I snort wheezed and here he come walking right to me and I shot him at 10 yards. So it's a pretty good little spot there that just pinches them in the river, the bluff. We got food pot right across from there. So it's kind of drawing near that direction. And it's, it's been a pretty good spot the last three years for me. I'd say so. How, how, how does, okay. How, how does the access throughout the farm work? Because I'm hearing things. Okay. You got 14 sets, you've got a lot of CRP. um, So a lot of open ground. Um, There's a river, like, is there really well-defined trails that you guys can access? Are you on foot most of the time? Are you driving back and forth with the vehicle? Because you guys are going there, two of you setting up shop for anyway, let's just call it three to five, six days at a time to hunt. How do you not burn things out, but still yeah. successful? How do you manage that? So, some of the access is pretty terrible. I'm not going to lie. Some of it's really good. Um, with having the two creeks on this place, uh, we use a kayak or a canoe on some of these nice. sets. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, 
but some of it, this cabin is about dead center of this farm. It's not ideal. Yeah. So there's a lot of time where he's hunting for where his, where, you know, this, or where he killed crazy, not where he's hunting all the time, but where he killed crazy. Um, that what the disturbance to that part where he gets across the Creek, isn't that bad, but he's walking across two thirds of my farm to get to cross the Creek in the first place. So it's right. fairly intrusive to the rest of the farm. Uh, it's all, we're doing it on foot. We're not doing it on four wheeler, but we stick to the same, you know, mode field roads, not that deer aren't crossing these, but um, sure. we've got consistent paths that we're coming in. You know, if we're hunting a North wind stand, or I'm thinking of the, the stand that he killed skinny 10 and I skilled skinny 10 junior. We'll come into that. We hunt it with a Northwest wind. We come in directly downwind. So we're only blowing to where we're going to blow when we get up in this stand, yep. um, things like that. You know, we, we try to minimize it. I've actually got a couple stands that I don't think Byron's ever sat in that, but that I've, I've sat in right up by my gate. Uh, okay. And I've got up early in the morning, get in the truck and drive off, leave my property, drive down the gravel road, 150 yards, I don't know if this works or not, but I'm hoping that the deer think I just left the farm <laughs> if they heard the truck go sure. out. And then I turn sure. around and walk right back in, in the gate and, and climb up in a tree that's 30 yards from my gate. Right. So you be creative as you can, but sometimes you just can't help it. You're going you're gonna to walk through a CRP field that's got a field road through it. it there's just no way to get there. And I think but, that there's... Yeah some forgiveness during the rut as well. Like when you guys have time to do it and you've taken off time from work, if you made that time away from family, like you, you just, you, you make it work, right? You, you may not have the ideal scenario, but you know that time in the tree when you have consistent deer behavior and mature deer on the farm, it will pay off. I, I think sometimes as, as important as access is, sometimes it gets in the way of hunting where you should be hunting or how much you should be hunting, given your time, right? Not every farm is perfect on the access. There's ways to improve things. Sounds like you guys are taking the right measures. It's obviously working, but sometimes you just got to hunt it and make it work. Yeah. That, I mean... The reason I found the spot is because we don't have many stands set up for an east wind. And okay. I just took my climber one day and said, I'm going across the river with the east wind and letting it blow back across the river just because we don't have many stands to go with an east wind. And and I just took it as a chance. And, well, I found this spot just because we didn't have a stand set up for an east wind. Right. Sometimes now we've since moved some what'd you say i would say sometimes those those oddball days that just provide opportunities that you didn't know were there previously when you just kind of get creative and stop looking at the farm through the exact same lens um just like you did in the you know kind of cranking up the intentionality of the management around it you didn't look at the farm the exact same ways you you started to look at it differently and you were given a different day different wind and got creative and bam now you found a an awesome spot. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and yeah. but now we do have stands. We've we've gotten that more east consistent east wind when we go over there, and it seems like each year we go over there, there's that east wind there. So now we do have stands set up for an east wind, but I still have my my spot. I go across with a climber and still use a climbing stand. Sure. Yeah, I think we've got a couple southeast and one northeast stand. So we make we make it work when we have to, you know, but um, you know, that's another important component of it, I would argue. We we have stands for every possible wind direction. We're wow. not compromising that. There's certain stands that you're just not allowed to hunt in. If it's south wind, we know you can't go to this stand, this stand, this stand. And there's no there's no argument. There's no discussion. That's non-negotiable yeah. because yep. that's how you'll access is, is important. I'm not, I'm not downplaying it, but if you want to burn out a stand in a matter of 10 minutes, go sit in it with the wrong wind direction. For um, sure. You can ruin it for weeks and that's yep. just not an option here. We just don't, I've, I haven't done that for 20 years. Just not an option. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's there's a stand on the property that we call my stand that I hung. I, I think I went over there in 2012, killed a deer with my climber there. Then the next year we said, let's put a well, let's, let's put a stand, a permanent stand there. I think I killed a deer in 2013 out of the permanent stand. And then it just became that was my stand. And that's my favorite place to go hunt. But the last three years, I think I've hunted out of out of it once, just because the wind wasn't right, or if the wind was right, I say, Kyle, you go hunt that stand. It's it's right. a good stand. You go hunt it or whatever. I think <clears throat> I may have hunted it one morning this year, or maybe you hunted it, didn't you? Well, that's where I saw the four by seven twice. Was that stand the first morning we were there? Oh wow! Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, just, so, I don't know, overall, it's just been exciting to see and, and the, to be able to devote the time to managing this place. And then, you know, we got to, to see the consistency and, and keeping deer around and being able to harvest these deer. And I've had several people ask me for what it's worth, people that are listening, thinking, oh, my gosh, well, you let this guy shoot 161 inch deer and Crazy turned out to be 175. He didn't quite make 180. He, he'd actually shrunk from pictures from last year a little bit, if you can believe that. But um, yeah, I think last year he touches 190. People people are saying, my gosh, I, I don't know if you could let him come hunt over there. Well, as a, as a landowner, I'm excited to have these deer on my property. Yes. That's my first thought. I mean, I'm proud that we're producing these. And secondly, that deer could have got hit by a car the next day. For goodness yep. sakes, could have got yeah. gut shot by somebody. I mean, who knows? So, yep. uh, you know, I, I'm thrilled that Byron had a chance to harvest that deer and, and made it happen. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And that's the thing, you know, I, I, I think oftentimes I hear that that people get, let's say, um, upset if neighbors shoot, let's say, a, a target deer, mature deer, right? Um and I'm sitting there thinking, well, I don't quite understand that because, like, what do you want them to be shooting a bunch of yearlings? Like, if if you guys are all on the same page in the management, 
you need to share in the success that all you guys are, you know, um, let's say, let's say building towards as a neighborhood. Um, there's deer on my place this year. It was just during late October, November, mostly all nighttime activity. Um, and I was like, there's decent chance I could have a encounter with that. And I was hoping honestly late season to kind of move back in consistently with, with the food that I have. Um, but here at late muscle loader, the gentleman who had him during the summer, um, harvest him. It's 150 inch deer. I said, I would have been thrilled on 36 acres to kill 150 something inch deer. Um, but I can't be upset with that because that was a target deer. And if we're all in here trying to achieve the same thing together, I would much rather him be making those selections and shot opportunities and capitalizing on them the same caliber of deer that I'm going to harvest like that, like we're united in that. It's much better than again, you're getting shot a year and a half old and, and, or the worst scenario that you already talked about getting hit by a car or something like that. Just devastating happened where you, you guys can't celebrate in the hunt together. You can't, um, you know, enjoy the, the fruits of your guys' labor and hard work. Like there's wins for everybody here. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's some deer out there. I passed up some really nice deer. I, I went back a couple weeks later and, and had another good round of bow hunting. I uh, saw 31 bucks in five days. It was crazy. Um, saw a lot of activity and passed up some really nice deer because I was hunting this four by seven deer, this one deer. I narrowed it down to one deer unless some random stranger shows up. And I had another encounter with him. Um, but passed up some really nice deer that I, that I hope make it another year, but I'm not going to, I can't be mad at somebody if they, they harvest them. Um, yeah. it's, it's just part of, part of the deal and part of, that's part of having, having a farm and, and having management. Hopefully you're not relying on one deer, like, oh gosh, this one 8.3 and a half year old is my only up and comer. Yeah. If that's the situation you got you're probably behind the eight ball already, you know, hopefully, hopefully we're looking at, Hey, I've got four or five deer that, Hey, that's going to make something. So if two or three of them make it another year or two, I'm in business. So right on. And I, I think the past is, has shown that, right. You don't get a crazy, you don't get this four by 160 plus inch four by seven. You don't get the skinny 10. I mean, this is year in and year out. I'm having multiple deer like this on the place. So um, I obviously some of them are, are getting, getting passes somewhere or smart enough to not get killed somewhere or using my place to avoid harvest, whatever, whatever's happening, it's working out. And I'm having mature, not only mature, but wall hanger sized deer each year on my property. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is a testament to, to what you guys are doing, the commitment to um, the harvest situation that you guys have. So kudos to you guys. I'm, I'm pumped and I can't wait to see what the next couple of years bring uh, for the both of you guys over there. I know it's only going to get better. Um, the hunting seems like it's spot on, but just fine tuning the management because there's not it's not all done yet. I know there's still things that you probably want to do and fine tune um, the process. 
<clears throat> as you learn more, as you observe more. Um, so uh, I'm excited to already hear of what you guys have accomplished and really getting intense in the last four to five years, but who knows what the future of four to five years is going to look like. Hopefully it resembles something the last two. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it's always a work I'm, in progress. Everybody knows that. I mean, we I've cut down some trees just to stop deer from going skirting around a stand. Um, yep. You know, just did that this summer. I mean, just little things like that, that you keep tweaking. Um, it's always a work in progress. Well, and yeah, you know, we sit there, me and you both are sitting there in our stands in Kansas and we're texting back and forth saying, Hey, we really need to do this over here. Or, or we get back to the cabin that night and we're, we're talking about all these changes we need to make or, or the, the improvements we need to do at this stand or whatever. It's, it's always changing to something just by sitting there and looking at it. And I mean, since I've got into my own place now, I do the same thing. I sit there at my house, can't even really focus on hunting because I'm sitting there thinking about all the management changes I need to do. Even That's though right. I do do a lot of stuff here already, I just, every time I go yeah. sit somewhere, I'm thinking, wait a minute, I need to do this or do that. Or <laughs> it, it never ends. That's how it is on, I mean, I've been managing public land for almost 30 years and I, if I'm at work or I'm out hunting, it never fails. You're like, oh, I need to do this over here. I need to do that over there. Yeah. And that's how it should be. If you're not, it's never done. If you no. think it's ever done, you're you're destined to fail. It's it's always yeah. something, whether it at a minimum maintenance, Correct. but there's always something creeping up, whether it's invasives or you know, some well, that fire wasn't hot enough, some cedars got by me and you're going to have to do some cutting or whatever. You're always going to have TSI. It's just, it never ends. And it shouldn't. And it's fun. It's, it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. And and the success you guys are, have had um, is kind of that cherry on top. But um, the Sunday is is enjoying itself, right? Like the the management, the camaraderie, the, obviously the, the two of you guys have in, in sharing camp and the hunts together. Like that's super special. So um Appreciate you guys coming on though and sharing that and sharing the six stories uh, of of success, <clears throat> what you guys have been able to accomplish in the last couple of years. Um, Kansas is a special place, but always love being able to um, share in you know again the success that you guys are having, but especially Kyle with with um, you being a part of Land and Legacy and a consultant. Like it's good that people are hearing just how much of a deer nut you are and the fact that even on your own place like this is the success that you guys are personally having um and you're at the helm you're driving the ship of management on the property and the results speak for themselves so um you know what you're doing and uh again i'm just excited to see what the next couple years bring because if you're seeing 30 something bucks in a couple in a couple of days, my gosh, what the next couple of years are going to be like um, for, for November's November sets. Anyhow, it's going to be awesome. Yep. Cool. 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 Well, guys, thank you for your time, Byron. Great, uh, great chatting. And um, Kyle, thank you again. We will uh, catch everybody here next week on another land and legacy podcast, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>